The teaching this week comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. We're continuing our series through 1 Peter, which is a letter about living hope, the, the living hope that we have in Christ and the manner of living that hope ought to inspire and produce in us. I think we can all agree that having hope is a powerful thing, especially during dark and, and difficult and confusing times. In fact, I, I believe that living hope, living hope in a once crucified, now living Savior, is one of the most important things for the church to demonstrate during dark and difficult and confusing times. Our world needs to see the church living out of the living hope we have in Christ. Our, church, our world needs to see the church as a non-anxious, joy-filled, and others-oriented community. Our passage this week is only four verses long, and for the sake of clarity, I'm, I'm not actually going to follow the sequence of those verses as written by Peter. And here's why. In verse 22, Peter tells us what we ought to do. And then, in verses 23 to 25, Peter tells us why we ought to do it. So I'm not changing the meaning of these verses, I'm just going to start with why. And actually, that's, that's true to the way Peter has written this letter. He doesn't come out of the gate telling us what we ought to do. First and foremost, he takes a moment to simply bask in the glory of the gospel. Because we are who we are, and we do what we do because of who God is and what God has done. So, verse 23. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. All right, first of all, the word you here is plural. Peter is addressing a group of people, and he says, y'all have been born again. And he's already introduced this idea of new birth back in verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there's something I want to point out here that I think we often miss. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're born again through the resurrection. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that the new birth is an event in redemptive history. As it says in Colossians, Jesus Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus carried Adam's curse to the grave 
and then he rose again. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And so in a sense, the resurrection of Jesus is the new birth. It's what makes our new birth possible. Every new birth since the resurrection of Jesus is really just a matter of being united to the, to the resurrection of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus, we are made to participate in the new birth of Christ. And so the emphasis should not be upon my personal conversion experience, as, as powerful and important as that may have been. The emphasis is on Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to talk about your personal spiritual experiences. It's often good and helpful and encouraging to do so. But I am saying, what I am saying, is that we need to see the bigger picture. Peter is talking about the dawn of the new creation in Christ. The new birth was a monumental cosmic event. The old humanity in Adam has been born again in Jesus, and the church is the new humanity. Ezekiel chapter 37 gives us a powerful picture of the new birth. There is a valley of dry bones representing, representing the nation of Israel. But by the word of the Lord, the graves are opened. God brings out the bones and he binds them together into a new body, filling them with the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is a powerful picture of the new birth. And it's a corporate event. It's not just an individual conversion experience. We could also talk about the new birth in terms of the Exodus. The Exodus marked the birth of the nation of Israel. Just as Israel was born through the deliverance of Moses, so Israel needed to be reborn through the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, there are numerous Exodus themes in the opening chapters of 1 Peter. We are born again to a living hope. We are guarded by God's power. We are tested in exile. We are called to be holy. We are ransomed by the blood of a lamb without blemish or spot. And we are built into a spiritual house to offer sacrifices to God. These are all Exodus themes. So, the new birth of Jesus, his resurrection, has made us into a new humanity. We are no longer born of Adam's perishable seed. We are born of the imperishable seed of Christ. How? Verse 23, through the living and abiding word of God. Whether this is a reference to the gospel message or to the Bible in general or to Jesus in particular, it remains true. The living and abiding word of God gives life to dry bones. The living and abiding word of God remains forever. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But that's not what the word of God is like. The word of God remains forever. In a world of perishable people and perishable things, the word of God is imperishable. In a world of people and things that are withering and falling, the word of God remains forever.
Jesus is himself the Word of God. And by filling us with his Holy Spirit, he is constantly giving new life to his new humanity. That's the why. The resurrection of Jesus has established a new humanity on the earth. So, what's the what? What are we supposed to do about that? How is this new humanity supposed to live? Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love. Love is what should mark the new humanity established by Jesus. But not just any love. Peter is talking about a sincere, earnest love from the heart. We're going to look at Three words, sincere, earnest, and pure. Our love should be sincere, our love should be earnest, and our love should be from a pure heart. The first word is sincere. Sincere love is genuine love, which means we don't pretend to love one another. We don't fake it. Our love is free of pretense. We don't speak and act lovingly to a person's face and then speak and act unlovingly to a person's back. This doesn't mean we love everyone in exactly the same way. It doesn't mean we have to be best friends with everybody. But it does mean that when someone is hard to love, we cannot thereby justify keeping our distance. We cannot thereby justify our bitterness or resentment. We don't just love one another when we feel like loving one another. Rather, if someone is hard to love, we ought to pray to God for help. Why? Well, because if anybody knows what it's like to love people who are hard to love, it's God. The cross of Christ reveals just how hard we are to love. So, when someone is hard to love, we pray to the God of the cross for the strength to, to walk the way of the cross, to bear our own crosses for the good of our brothers and sisters. It's tough, it's really tough to be bitter towards a person or a group of people for whom you are sincerely praying. So, take the practical step of actually praying for hard to love people and watch your heart soften in the way of sincerity. Christian love is actually aimed at hard to love people. It's not just for people who share your background or your interests or your hobbies or your income bracket. It's, it's for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and the mentally ill and those lacking in self-awareness, and those lacking in emotional intelligence. Every person, no matter how hard to love, is made in the image of God. Sin has distorted the image of God in us, but rather than hating one another, we, we ought to hate what has distorted the image of God in us. We ought to love right through the sin and the brokenness, to the person that could have been 
and to the person that will one day be. And that perspective, that perspective on love and one another is, is absolutely unique to the Christian faith. It's unique to Christian love. Only living hope in a resurrection can produce that sort of love. The next word is earnest. Earnest love is intense and unceasing. It's deeply emotional, long-suffering, and unfading. We are to love one another with unceasing fervor. The Greek word for earnest here is actually used to describe the sort of prayer Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed with such earnest that he was sweating drops of blood. Peter was writing this letter to a community of people dealing with deep, underlying, historic divisions. Divisions bred by centuries of prejudice and mistreatment toward people and groups that were different. As you know, our society can relate to that. And so in, in order to bind everyone together into a true family, Peter reminds them of the new birth. Jesus is risen. He has established his new humanity, and there is no longer any place for division in the family of God. So, those with more power and resources can love earnestly by going the extra mile to show real, active compassion. And those with less power and resources can love earnestly by being willing to forgive. For the new humanity to work, both those things need to happen simultaneously. Compassion and forgiveness. And listen, if it, if it doesn't begin in the church, it's not going to happen. The last word is pure. We are to love one another from a pure heart. Some translations just say, from the heart. In Psalm 51, King David prays to God for a pure heart, a clean heart. He may not have used the same words, but he was praying for new birth. Now, remember, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not just talking about emotions. In the Bible, we think, feel, and act from the heart. The heart is the center of our intellect and emotions and our will. So to love from a pure heart means to love thoughtfully, to love emotionally, and to love practically. We don't just love in word, we love in deed. Every human soul is longing for deep, meaningful community, but you will never experience true community so long as you simply offer lip service to it. We have to actually get down into the dirt and weeds with one another. We have to actually serve one another in practical ways with time and attention and resources and, and real self-sacrificial love. When we disagree, when we offend, when we fail one another, we stick around. We stick around because sticking around is how we grow. And we stick around because sticking around is how other people grow. 
many things have been suspended during this time of pandemic, and, and it is right, and it is biblical to follow the lawful instructions of governing authorities. But we ought to remember that the sort of love Peter is talking about here is not passive. Ordinarily, we don't love one another by distancing ourselves from one another. The sort of love Peter is talking about is active. We move toward one another in love. And I think that captures some of the tension we're living through right now. We are facing two crises simultaneously, two things that future generations are going to read about and discuss. One, one crisis calls for distance, and the other calls for proximity. And so it's, it's really impossible to navigate these times without balance and wisdom. So first, let's, let's acknowledge that tension. And second, let's extend an extra measure of grace to one another. And third, let's consider how to actively and practically love one another during these times. We don't have to agree with one another in order to love one another. There's nothing otherworldly about loving people with whom you agree. There's nothing unique about that. There's nothing new humanity about that. There is something otherworldly about showing genuine affection and servant-hearted self-sacrifice for people with whom you disagree. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that. And only by applying the resurrection, the, the living and abiding word of God to our hearts. We are the new humanity in Christ, and we are learning to live and love as Jesus lived and loved. That's our responsibility before the nations. The nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. But our God, our God has given all glory and all authority to his king. And he is our, our only hope for healing. He is our only hope for peace. He is the source of all life and health and blessing. And he is the judge who will bring injustice to an end. Jesus loved his brethren unto death. He loved his brethren through death and into new, new birth. He loved his brethren by filling them with his Holy Spirit, and now he loves his brethren and really the whole world through you and me. At some point, we will all wither and fall like the flower of grass. That just makes the task of genuine, fervent love all the more urgent. Because there is, there is a glorious flower blooming in the world today. And even though we wither and fall, that, that glorious flower will remain forever. And the flower is the kingdom of God. And we have the privilege of seeing it come in our midst when we love one another sincerely, earnestly, and from a pure heart. Brothers and sisters, we have, 
we have a living hope. When everything feels hopeless, when death draws near, when society appears to be tearing apart at the seams and wickedness is in the place of justice, we have a living hope and a living savior. Jesus has brought new birth to a dying world and he did it through an act of sincere, earnest, and pure love. And when we love one another as Christ has loved us, our, our dry bones are bound up into a new and glorious body. We were dry bones, but we have been reborn and we have been bound together in love. Love, sincere, earnest, pure love is how the body grows. And it's how the kingdom comes. Pray this with me from the Book of Common Prayer. O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, give us grace to take to heart the grave dangers we are in through our many divisions. Deliver your, your church from all enmity and prejudice and everything that hinders us from godly union. As there is one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so make us all to be of one heart and of one mind, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and love, that with one voice we may give you praise. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in everlasting glory. Amen. Amen.